Welcome to the Media Jungle. I'm your host, Alex Regeer, coming to you every week to break down the news facing the media industry. We have Mr. Digital Media himself and former president of Digiday, Brian Morrissey, is here, founder of the Rebooting Newsletter, and of course, the smartest man on Instagram, former executive producer of CBS, Bloomberg, you name it, Moshe Wanunu is in the house, president of Mo Digital. What a week. Media merger face-off. BuzzFeed, the company that brought you, oh my God, every middle child needs to take this quiz, went public last week. In a move to buy all of its competitors, they bought HuffPost and now Complex, and its rivals, Vice Fox and Group 9, were like, let's just wait and see how this goes. Count of three, we're all going to put down our guns. I have crossbows. BuzzFeed tried to raise $288 million in cash, but in the end, the investors were like, nah. So they only raised $16 million in cash. Ouch. And the stock plunged 30%. Yikes. A few days later, Vox Media and Group 9 announced they're going to merge and not go public. Figures. And Vice stands alone. Let the face-off begin. Brian, you think uh, there's a lot that's been happening in this M&A. We've been waiting for consolidation in this industry for so long. Now it looks like it's happened. How do you see this playing out? It reminds me of sort of how they say generals always fight the last war. And, you know, these are generals fighting the last war, which is the scale war. And so when you read like the press release for, say, Vox and Group 9 and the rationale behind it, it's like a throwback to a different era. Um, they're talking about how they have six billion monthly video views, which, you know, after many years of having uh, a media business podcast, I just became numb to these gigantic numbers. And then they say that they're now a top 10 Comscore publisher. And when you're citing Comscore, you're definitely coming from a different era, for sure. Um, and then on top of that, they talk about 450 million social connections. I mean, what nonsense. What nonsense. I think the strongest media companies are going to be built completely differently than how these media companies were built, because they were built for a different era. It's hard to sort of remember, but BuzzFeed is, is not young. I mean, they were started in 2006. So the people that they were targeting were, let's say, 21 at the time. These people are well into middle age. Nobody who's like, I think, I don't hang out with Gen Z because that would be creepy and weird. But I do not believe that Gen Z has the same attachment to uh, BuzzFeed that uh, the annoying millennials did. No offense to any of you that are millennials. The guys who brought Facebook quizzes aren't going to be the future media. <laughs> What do you think, Moshe? Are you an only child, a middle child? <laughs> They're vicious, and I like that. I like that the TikTok kids well, are vicious, I will... and I don't think they have any time for this. Yeah, I will say this: that as an elder millennial, I, I think I'm the I'm a cusp at, at born in '82. I definitely, you know, have fully experienced uh, the peak peak BuzzFeed 2007. And you know, by, by the way, BuzzFeed admitted they lost control of their quizzes. They didn't think that they would go as viral as they did. That said, I mean, to your point, we're talking about, you know, their uh, BuzzFeeds uh, going public, but also this this merger, which brings together, you know, now this news. I mean, really, these are all, uh, you know, these were all peak digital media plays of the past decade, um, where whereas everything is going social now. So 
at the end of the day, they're following the playbook, which is scale, scale, scale. We got to get bigger in order to then get bigger and then get bigger and then get bigger in order to compete. What's also interesting as you've seen this revival of subscription revenue. Step three. Step three is profits. So. Well, well, they do say, and I haven't gone hard into the numbers, that this combined entity will brings in $100 million in profit out of $700 million revenue. So I will take them for their word on that one. That said, this all comes at the same time that, you know, media has recovered subscription, uh, you know, has revived subscription revenue. And these guys are all about advertiser supported, which is why they cite these absurd numbers. It was interesting with the merger, the split, like 75 Vox, 25 Group 9. I was thinking they were sort of rivals of equals, but apparently not at all. No, I mean, Vox is a much bigger business and it was a it was a better run business. And I think that's where we're going into this next phase. And the next phase is proving that you can wring operational efficiencies. And I know that sounds boring because it is out of these businesses. And so that's a very good story. So BuzzFeed told this story. And, and honestly, I think it's a good story that you need to like these businesses need to get bigger in order to have greater efficiencies and be able to be financially sustainable. The problem is the messenger. It, even if I believe this story, why would I want the people that have been running unprofitable media businesses for over a decade? Why would I believe that they're the ones to suddenly be the ones to run profitable media businesses? Fox has a, a leg up with this claim at a, of $100 million of profitability. Now, I'd like to see it because there's a lot of adjusted EBITDA going on there. And if I, I can adjust my finances to look freaking great if I just take out a bunch of expenses. And so I think that's probably what's going on. But we'll see. You know, until, they, until we see their financials, we don't know. But people saw BuzzFeed's financials. And the story that Jonah Peretti is telling is a good one. The problem is he's telling it. Why is Jonah the person th to, to be the one who runs this like very disciplined, financially conscious like entity? Well, what's been going on the last 15 plus years? Going, going in <laughs> Vox's favor is that Vox is probably one of the few, if only, digital media entities that did the pivot to video of 2014, 2015, uh, in a way that, you know, led to uh, a show or two on Netflix, etc. You know, Vox figured out video in a way that most of the rest of the bunch of folks that we're talking about couldn't figure out. So I think that, you know, obviously Vox, it makes sense that they're kind of the, the big kahuna in this kind of merger with Group 9. Um, but it will be interesting to see that all these uh, smaller media properties that all had their moments over the course of the past 15 years, how many of them survive and make it to the promised land uh, with with this new kind of enlarged entity? I do see a future in the next couple of years where all of these folks will end up getting together uh, just because they can't compete. I yeah. love the idea of relitigating re the, the, the pivot to video. Like that would be a great... And, and then we can like figure out what the hell Seeker is. I think because that... That is an issue that has been brought to the fore now because, you know, you have to get pretty far down in the press release. But, you know, this does include Seeker. Vox also has like a first party software for data, right? Like, is this, does this play into at all the kind of yeah, end yeah. of the third party cookie and they all need to kind of quickly get together? And Vox has something that they say could help 
with that competitively. Huh? Yeah, I mean, that's an absolutely critical part of having the infrastructure in place that allows for, again, the financial optim optimization. This is like a boring story now. Like the story of BuzzFeed and Vox and, and these companies is one of optimizing what they have. It's not about inventing the future. The future is going to be invented by other people. Um, they've got existing assets and, and built-in existing distribution and audiences. They need to officially, efficiently mine for money. And that's what this is part of. I just think it's kind of a boring media story now, which is kind of funny because these guys were all the exciting media story. And now they're like the CFO's media story. Um, and you even see it like, you know, Jonah's out there talking about operational efficiencies and all this. And I'm like, really, you are, this is the, the LOL guy and the guy with all the viral experiments. Um, but this is, this is what happens when you grow up and you hit middle age and you get mortgages and stuff and going into the public markets is going to be a bracing experience for, um, for these, these companies because they acted like trust fund kids for years. And, you know, when a trust fund kid gets, gets uh, cut off. That's tough. I've seen it happen here in Miami, and it's a tragic, <laughs> tragic tale. <laughs> Podcasters are balling? Last week, the Pat McAfee Show closed a $30 million deal with gambling site FanDuel. That's twice as much as he made in his seven-year NFL career, and he's making it rain. Let's go ahead and give them $200,000. Let's go ahead and give them $150,000. Let's give them $150,000. Let's give them $100,000. Let's give them $100,000. Let's give them $100,000. Oh, okay, quick. We'll have a $2 million, we're all Mustangs here fund. And now the industry is estimated to grow to $180 billion by 2025, according to this Bloomberg story. Sports shows used to be brought to you by Budweiser. But now all sports are brought to you by BetMGM, FanDuel, and Caesar Sportsbook. And just a few years ago, ESPN commentators couldn't even mention betting because, remember, gambling's addictive and destroys families. But now investors are pouring money into online gambling so they can corner the market because, as we all know, the house always wins. Brian, when was the last time you saw this flood of money? Is this, is this the interest, interesting part of media that you're talking about? Well, I think it's interesting on a few different levels. One, timing is everything in life. I think we all know that. But like, you know, a lot of these sports properties got so lucky in the fact that, you know, what was once um, this horrible vice that was a threat to society, all of a sudden, like in true capitalistic fashion is now like a growth industry and everyone forgot about all that other stuff. It's just like, you know, weed, you know. We went from that uh, frying pan, eggs in the frying pan commercial in the 1980s to like, uh, weed spacks and whatnot. So leave that aside. But I do think that what's interesting, if you tie it back to the, um, the story about Buzzfeed and Vox and the rest of those guys is this new crop are making money in different ways than just advertising. Um, the reason that Pat McAfee was able to, to sell this deal, you know, $30 million a year for four years, and he has an opt out for the fourth year, so he's not even sure if the if the fourth year, the thirty million, is is enough. So this, you know, he's got a rocket ship on his hands, and I think the reason he has a rocket ship is twofold. One, he he produces he has a real fan base, like he they're really passionate about Pat McAfee. You know, he started a barstool. He's a barstool type character. He's creating his own his own sort of coterie of various other characters um, too. Not totally for me, but you know he's got a he's got a passionate fan base, and on top of that, he's got a business model in being able to basically pass leads on to these gambling uh, providers. In this case, 
uh, FanDuel that is very lucrative. And we see this in, in a lot of different areas. You know, If you're selling advertising to a general audience, not very lucrative. A lot of people can do that. But these sports books need to acquire tons of customers. And media is a very efficient way for them to acquire um, acquire customers when you compare it to like Facebook and, and Google ads. So this is like an actual area. And there are areas where we always hear publishers saying, we can't compete, we can't compete with Google and Facebook. Well, mm-hmm. wait, these guys are competing. They seem to be doing fine. Yeah, it's interesting that they go direct to the brand, right? It's like they're buying out the whole thing. It's not like with Barstool or just advertisements. It's like actually buying up the whole franchise. Yeah, I mean, if you look at two, I mean, this is like maybe a little less prominent, but today, um, Food 52, which is a food site, uh, took on another $80 million in funding. They've tripled their valuation to $300 million. They're buying a home decor retailer. And this is basically what it, it used to be, you know, a recipe site. But what they're building is the front end to a commerce business. Now 80% of their revenue comes from selling pots, pans, lights, cookbooks, whatever. Um, media is a good business. Advertising might not be a great business if you're just about a general audience, but media is a great business. Yeah. It's also kind of interesting. There was also the news that Pivot, the media podcast I never listened to, no, uh, uh, was is also kind of doing something similar with Salesforce Plus. Like Salesforce Plus is launching like a programming. It's... Can you yeah, believe amazing. that's real? Can you, Mosh, I don't can you know. believe that's real? What would they have to cut you, Mosh, for you to be like host like a primetime show on Salesforce Plus? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for McAfee money, I think, uh, as so, far as Salesforce is concerned. But I'd I, want I mean, an opt-out after year one, month one, though. And, and I like, yeah, I'm the new host of Salesforce you know, News Today or whatever that show is. But for a certain price, I guess, you know. Um, the week, the week, week in CRM? We, we, we would all consider it. <laughs> I, I will say this, you know, it, it does reinforce the point that every company now, it, you know, needs a content strategy. Every company now as a, you know, is a, is sort of a media company. DraftKings, by the way, should be noted, um, has a three year deal with the La- Dan Lebetard show, um, which is the number one, uh, sports podcast on the charts. So, you know, FanDuel as the DraftKings competitor needed, you know, their equivalent there. It is remarkable to me though, that you know, when you look at McAfee's career as a punter, he retired at 29. He made like three million a year, and now you know he's doing 10x that as a uh, as a podcast yeah. host. Yeah, and um, it was a big deal. It was a big deal when he left the NFL for Barstool. Um, you know, because I mean, you know, he was a, a pretty good punter. I mean, I follow football quite closely. I do remember his like career highlight was when he like he liked to talk a lot, obviously. And usually punters are not like the prominent members of the team. And Peyton Manning got annoyed that he was like popping off and he called him the idiot drunk uh, kicker, I believe. Well, well uh, I will say this, that that, <laughs> that of of like major interview headlines, you know, you look at like media scoops of the past few months, McAfee's interviews with Aaron Rodgers yeah. were way up there. You know, like I think he got more scoops than some of the, you know, cable or news net, network newscasts have gotten. Well, uh, I think that that's also something. like a con- a continuation of of the trends we've seen, which is a lot of these prominent uh, celebrities want to bypass quote unquote traditional media and go to like quasi like they call it independent media, but they know they're going to get like a nicer 
audience, right? They're they're gonna they're, you know it looks and has the feeling of like a normal interview. But can you imagine if Aaron Rodgers did that like interview with like Lester Holt or something? You know what I mean? It's like right. he'd yeah. be getting grilled. I I'd be like shit, man. I got COVID. I don't need this. Well, and 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 by the way, it's one of the reasons why like Dak Shepard, you know, uh, Joe Rogan, those are yeah. your top podcast hosts, and that's where notable personalities are now going to do their their sit. Howard Stern has has had that for years, right? And, you know, but you is that a, Howard, let me you ask you this? Interview. Is that a bad thing? Like, I know, like a lot of like you know, because journalism is not a priesthood, as far as I know. Like, uh, there was no orders that like you know nobody was like you know blessing anyone, and there's no accreditation. Process. Walter Cronkite was the pope. And he would he, oh, was he? <laughs> the previous pope was Edward R. Murrow. That, okay. That's my understanding as a former CBS employee. Yeah, yeah. and then and then we got Matt Lauer and his button. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if we're going to keep the Catholic Church metaphor going, there's many there's many problems in the priesthood. But like, I think that's like an inevitable thing. Is like as you know, this personal branding comes into like dominate like all aspects of society. I mean, we elected a president who is basically an influencer, right? I mean, he was a celebrity, and um, you know, I think that this is just a natural progression that the most powerful media brands are going to be built around individuals. I mean, that's just like that's just where society is going. I mean, to answer your initial question, I don't think it's a bad thing um, necessarily. I, I think that you do want uh, to be able as a consumer to hear from a diversity of voices. You shouldn't have to be obligated to go to one of a handful of places. Um, it just it just means that um, if you're getting your if you're trying to push your message out, you might have to go to multiple entities as opposed to one or two. Uh, and at the same time, as a consumer, in order to get a grasp of everything that's going on, it does require more, you know, homework on your side. You know, you you can't just have that one source of news. You can't just turn on the evening news anymore and get everything that you need to know because of all of the potential places to be getting your information these days. You have to watch a, th- a three-hour Joe Rogan podcast to really find out. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah new announcement this podcast will be sponsored by uh this is going to become a crypto sports podcast actually after this conversation i thought it was ivermectin, <laughs> ivermectin. oh yeah that that's that's going to be the new the new uh the new sponsor of all all uh politics podcasts well my my fantasy football team has made the playoffs so we're excited about next week Oh, oh! Don't don't get me excited. If you know anything, I don't know anything about sports. I don't follow sports too much. I play them, but I don't follow them. So, I don't think we can really pivot to sports. But um, there's a lot of money there. Suddenly, <laughs> Facebook gets sued for genocide. Rohingya refugees filed an 150 billion dollar class action lawsuit in California against Facebook or Meta, alleging the platform helped perpetuate genocide in Myanmar. The suit says Facebook ignored warnings for five years until tragically it was too late. It's been reported for years that Facebook was used to organize attacks against the Rohingya population. I mean, getting sued for antitrust or lying about your view counts is one thing, but getting sued for genocide is the first of its kind. Mosh, it seems like this is something completely new. How do you how do you see this? Well, one thing to keep in mind, by the way, is the way Facebook is used in the U.S. and much of the West is not necessarily the way that it's used in the rest of the world. You know, it's kind of Facebook is almost like AOL used to be. 
mm-hmm. um, in the 90s here, which is it's the Internet. Like it's where people are communicating. It's where it's how people get their Internet. It's it's a bit of everything, especially if you go into uh, West Africa, you go into Southeast Asia. Facebook is the end all be all. So yeah. that's just something to keep in mind uh, as far as the lawsuit is concerned. We, you know, we have heard from the UN a couple of years ago that Facebook did play a determining role, was their terminology, when it comes to the uh, genocide that took place there. Um, the the military junta that runs the government there uh, uses uh, Facebook to push its message out there. And one thing that we learned in the most recent leaks is that Facebook, uh, if you had an issue with moderation and disinformation here in the U.S., Facebook had like one person for every hundred they had trying to filter it in the U.S. and for places like India and Southeast Asia. So, you know, they're, it's pretty clear. And if you look at their internal communications, which, which have now been, you know, leaked, that Facebook did not take that issue very seriously. It will be interesting to see how the courts try to adjudicate this. You know, ultimately, you know, uh, Facebook executives did not kill anyone directly, but their platform was used. And so determining that will be will be fascinating and, and frankly, um, will will be a wake up call uh, to tech companies on how their infrastructure is being used, um, you know, around the world. Yeah. And, and, and that that element of that Facebook, basically, they do deals with telecom companies so that a lot of people on the cheapest plan just get like WhatsApp or Facebook as like an offering. They don't get other parts of the Internet. Um, how does that that why, why does that make Facebook less or more liable? Like, why would that why is that a, a, an important point? Well, I, uh, ultimately, I would think if I was arguing on behalf of the, of the uh, victims here, that that makes Facebook more of an issue, right? Mm-hmm. That, that ultimately, there is no alternative. You are the Internet. You are how yep. people are communicating. And on your platform, the government is pushing, um, you know, uh, is inciting people to attack. You know, it's almost like go back to the Rwandan genocide of 94. Radio was used at the time. Now, I don't remember or recall if any lawsuits took place against broadcasters and how, you know, Rwanda has been de- dealing with ramifications of that for, for years. But so now this is the next evolution of that. So, you, you know, Facebook is just saying we're just a platform. Ultimately, we don't have, li- you know, and and how the courts determine whether they're liable there will be interesting. But I mean, I, I, I would say that Facebook has more concerns because it is the means of communication in that country online. Yeah. Brian, any thoughts? Yeah, you know, like in journalism, like editing, there was always like the to be sure paragraph, which would like, you know, reporters would always want to caveat the story with the sort of Mm -hmm. counter to be fair. And like I was reminded of that when Moshe's like to be sure paragraph was to be sure Facebook executives did not directly kill anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Never, never a good sign. Also, when the to be sure paragraph is that you didn't literally kill anyone. Um so that was what I was thinking. Like, this is another example of this company. We have like a million examples that they clearly did not think through the implications of what they were building. Um, yeah, it's, it was all nice when it was like a way for Mark Zuckerberg to like rate hot chicks on campus. And then, okay, you add this sort of poke function. Okay, that's cool. Next thing you know, you got a genocide on your hands. So do we really want these people building the metaverse? I don't think so. Well, I, I, I think if I'm a Facebook executive, I'm trying to escape to the metaverse to avoid what I did, what I did in the real world. 
Yeah, but again, it's like it's like you know what the the story that Zuckerberg is telling it might it might be compelling and the right story, much like BuzzFeed. But the problem is the messenger again. Like, and I think this is going to be a major problem as they try to move past old Facebook. Is this is who they are? We we don't we're not like making this up. Like, I don't think this is like a threes company episode with like a series of like you know strange misunderstandings. Um, you know, Mr. Roper is not going to come down and it's all going to get like resolved. Three's company reference. Love it. This, is, this is who they are. I mean, this is who they are. So like, you know, the idea that they're going to be they're going to be fighting off antitrust, these kind of lawsuits and stuff. I'm kind of reminded to, uh, of, you know, of our previous segment. And like, it just feels like yesterday's news, like. Facebook feels like yesterday. And I know that it's a trillion dollar company and it's strange to even say that. But like the only time Facebook is being discussed is in this kind of negative light, right? And I I just believe that you cannot have that role in the culture and still be and and, and have a long-term hold on it. I just can't, it's hard for me to understand that. We'll uh, leave it there. Uh, we'll be taking off until December 27th, where we will have a some type of special year-end edition, uh, and then we'll be back in earnest next year. Happy holidays to everyone. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. By the way, we also are a video podcast where you can see extra memes, charts, visuals about the segments. So you can find that on YouTube or subscribe to our Substack newsletter for exclusive updates. And thank you so much for listening. See you next week.